Uh, what I want you to do is turn to Genesis 45, and I want us to read, uh, starting at verse uh, 4, and we're going to uh, read the word of the Lord together. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> let's read it together. It says, um, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be dis distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. And I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Shoot on down to verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light upon our path. I thank you for what you're doing right here in Kona. Come on, people. Just begin to thank the Lord for what he's doing. I thank you that you are building a powerful ministry that's going to shape the destiny of this island. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that is upon kings and what you're doing. But Lord, I'm asking you tonight for an outpouring of your Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, come. Come in power. Come in might. Anoint me. Allow me to have great liberty and freedom in preaching tonight. I pray for your anointing on this congregation. Give us ears to hear, a heart to respond, and eyes to see. And when we leave tonight, may we leave knowing we've heard from you and our lives are changed. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If anyone had an excuse to be angry, to be self-serving, to be rotten to the core, it's the one we read about tonight. His name is Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob. Think about what he went through. He was raised in a dysfunctional family. I won't ask how many people know what that's about. His mother died. His half-brothers hated him and wanted to kill him. In fact, his half-brothers sold him into slavery. And then he was put into prison unjustly. Now, think about that just for a moment. It seems, in the natural, he would have been a hopeless case. No one would have ever heard of him. And yet, when you look at the story of Joseph, you're struck by the fact that he had victory after victory after victory. I want to talk tonight on the subject, Joseph the Victorious. 
You see, I believe that Joseph is not only a man who is recorded in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. And he's not only a man who is so important in the Bible that literally, now think about this, he takes up from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, his story. Now, if you compare that to Abraham, there's as many, there's as much chapters given to Joseph as there is to Abraham, the father of faith. Now, why in the world would that be the case? Well, when you think about it, Joseph's story defines Israel's story. Without Joseph, you wouldn't have a picture of truly the story of the nation of Israel. But do you know why Joseph is talked about so much in the Old Testament? He's a picture. He's a type of someone who would come 2,000 years ago, born in a manger. His name is Jesus. Joseph is a type of Jesus. In fact, there are Jews today that believe there's two messiahs. There's the Joseph Messiah, who is Jesus. And then there's their Messiah. I've got news for you. The Joseph Messiah and Jesus are all the same. Jesus came once. He's coming again to rule and reign. But the picture of Joseph in the Old Testament speaks to us. You say, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. It's not the same name. Think about what happened. Joseph saved the lives of his family and the Egyptians. If it hadn't been for Joseph, there would be no Israel. And Jesus came to save all of us from our sin and from the penalty of sin, eternal death. But when you look at the life of Joseph, you're struck by the fact that how in the world how in the world could someone that went through so much? Now listen, think about it for a minute. I've, had, I've, I've, I've pastored for over 50 years. I've had people that get offended in church and don't serve the Lord from that point on. You want to just... <clears throat> that's what you want to do to them. How can you be so stupid? Here's a man who went through hell, if you will. And yet served God. God made him victorious. How did he do that? I want to share three things that I see in his life. That if you'll grab onto it tonight, you'll never be the same. The first is that his story begins with two God-given dreams. You'll notice them in Genesis 37. The first dream was a dream, and many of you know it, those of you who've read the Old Testament. He saw a picture of sheaves that were bound, and he had been working to bind sheaves of wheat, and his, his, his sheaves stood up like that. And his 11 brothers all bowed down, their sheaves all bound down to his. And then he has a second dream. Now this second dream is interesting because here the sun, moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to him. 
And he told these dreams to his brothers and his dad. You say, Joseph, why would you do such a thing? Why didn't you keep it to yourself? That's what got him in trouble. Now, most of us, when we read the story, we think, well, Joseph, you were so naive. Or maybe if you look at it from a distorted picture, you could even say, well, Joseph, you're so proud and arrogant. That's why you told the story. It was none of those things. You know why Joseph told the story? You know, shared the dreams? Is because he realized these were God-given dreams. And for God to be glorified, he needed to make it known. Now here's what's amazing. By the very fact he made those dreams known and was not ashamed of them, even at his own personal cost, God made him the premier dream interpreter of the world of his day. Did you know that everything, when it comes to victory, begins the same way? With a God-given dream or a God-given passion or a God-given desire. You cannot understand kings without understanding that. I came to Hawaii in 1976. I was pastoring in Honolulu with a pastoral team. I'd worked in California with Pastor Roy Sapp. He was pastor of a wonderful church there, and I came with him. He asked me to come with him. I would, in fact, I had tried to resign because I had this, uh, I was working on a graduate degree, and um, I had, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a professor, you know, with the checkered jacket and the pipe. You know, that, that was the normal picture back then. And I was working on a master's degree in ancient history at USC, and I was on my way to a PhD when God spoke to me. He said, I didn't call you to be a professor. I called you to be a pastor. So I ended up going to Fuller Theological Seminary, doing another master's and a doctorate there. And, and it was during that time I had to learn both Hebrew and Greek, so I figured I would resign the church in California, go to Israel with my wife and learn Hebrew. Great idea, except about three weeks before I was to go, I got a call asking if I would go to Hong Kong and the Philippines. My dad was pastoring the largest church in the Philippines, and my brother was pastoring in Hong Kong, and they were taking a group of singers from the Philippines to travel across the United States. So I'm in Hong Kong, and Pastor Sapp calls and says, you know, I've just been asked to be the pastor of First Assembly of God in Honolulu. Would you consider coming with me if we make that decision together? So I said, I'll change my ticket. I ended up in Honolulu, went to the church. It was a church of about three to 400 people, but boy, did they know how to praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm on the balcony of the Coral Reef Hotel, never forget it, in Waikiki. And God speaks to me. He says, I'm going to build a great church in the city. I want you to be a part of it. Get back to California. <clears throat> Pastor Sapple said, what did God say to you? I told him. He said, that's exactly what God said to me. We resigned, came to Honolulu in 1976, and the church skyrocketed. 
Well, about three and a half years into it, God spoke to me and said, I want you to lead your own church. Nobody knew what God said to me, and out of that conversation I had with God, my dad calls me and says, I'm thinking about leaving the Philippines. Would you take this church? Now, that church today is over 60,000 people, so we're not talking a little church. My wife and I prayed, and God said no. And then, and then I, I'm in the middle of the Pacific. I get a call from a church in Huntington Beach, California, saying, uh, um, you've been highly recommended. I said, how does anybody know my name? <laughs> and come to find out the person who recommended me was a pastor who I had helped as a volunteer youth pastor who later became the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Dr. George Wood, and he had recommended me to this church. They call me. And you may not know any significant thought of that, but when I was in college, I played football in college, and on Friday night or Saturday night, whenever the football game was on, the opposite night, I would go witnessing in Huntington Beach on the streets. It was a part of the hippie movement, and one of the guys I used to witness to, witness with, was a guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee, who God used profoundly in the Jesus movement there at Calvary Chapel. And Chuck Gerard, who was just with you, we knew each other 50 years ago. So what happens? I thought, well, maybe this is God. And they were paying my ticket, and I was working on my doctorate anyways. So I said, hallelujah. So I flew over there. I was preaching on a Sunday morning. Great potential. And God spoke to me and said, don't let them vote on you. Normally the procedure would be after the preacher preaches, they'd vote to see if they want him to be their pastor. I said, try other people out. I don't know why God's told me to tell you that, but he did. Well, about a month later, to make a long story short, a little church on Maui calls me. It was a church of about 100 people. And I said, well, I'll come on a Sunday night. Well, the reason I would come on a Sunday night and not a Sunday morning is because in Hawaii, there's what's called a coconut wireless. Everybody knows your business. You know what I'm talking about. And before you know it, everybody knows something that you didn't tell anybody about. And I didn't know if God was finished with me in Honolulu, so I said, I'll come Sunday night. And there were 30 people in church, which was a huge crowd, because normally there was only 12. I preached, didn't think a lot of it. Following Sunday, I get a call from a board member. He says, congratulations. I said, congratulations on what? He said, we just elected you to be our new pastor. And, and I, I'm going to tell you exactly what I said. I said, I don't know if I want to be your pastor. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm 30 years old. I said, I'll come over and I'll preach for you next Sunday morning. I'll let you know. And I'll fast and pray all week and see what God says. So I'm fasting. And God drops into my spirit a picture of a massive church on Maui. The largest church on the island was only 200 people. We're not talking about a greatly evangelized area, except for Catholic churches. 
Protestant churches were small. And literally, I, I, I saw a tremendous number of people. I couldn't get away from it. So when I preached that following Sunday morning, I preached on vision. The, the, don't say four months and then the harvest. The harvest is now. And at the end of the service, because I knew that if I had a vision but the people didn't have a vision, I'd be wasting my time and I didn't need a job. So I gave everyone a sheet of paper. I said, right, yes or no. Yes, if you embrace the vision I just told you. And you know, when you're up there in a church of 100 people and saying you're going to be thousands, people think you're, you're crazy when they've never seen anything like that. I mean, they all looked at me like a cow at a new gate. You know, they didn't know what to say. So I... They, they wrote, they, they, I gave them a ballot, right, yes or no. And I'm in the back of the church looking through those ballots. It was overwhelmingly yes. So I knew they caught the vision. You know, Pastor Jacob and Minister Leah can have a great vision, but if you don't have it, they're going to spin their wheels. And I'm going to slap you silly. Because you need to embrace what God's doing. Well, then I met with the board. It was a poor church, very poor. And I had to test them. The entire income of the church for a whole year was $50,000. That was the total given. Out of that, you paid the pastor, all the missionaries, all the upkeep of the church. And one person gave one quarter of that, so you didn't want to offend that one person. <laughs> So I'm sitting in this board meeting. They can't even pay me what I was getting in Hollywood. I didn't come for the money. I get angry when people talk, ah, all they want is your money. Oh, you're going to say that to McDonald's too? All they want is your money. <laughs> Macy's, all they want is your money. They don't care about you. Give me a break. What pastors have to put up with, with broken people and freaked out people and calling at 3 o'clock in the morning, give me a break. Going to a home, casting demons out of people in the middle of the night. Come on, give me a break. All we want is your money. My Italian is rising up. So they didn't have any money. So I said, look, if I'm going to become your pastor, I want a full-time secretary. There was no church on Maui that had a full-time secretary. Not one. It was quiet, just like it is right now. <laughs> they knew they didn't have money to pay me. And now I'm asking for a full-time secretary because I knew we'd grow very quickly. Finally, one guy popped up. He said, Pastor, he said, whatever you want to do, that's what we're going to do. And they voted me to have a new, a full-time secretary. And I said, well, all right, I'll be your pastor. I came about a month and a half later. First Sunday, the church doubled. Within a year, it had grown, a year and a half, it had grown from 100 to 1,000. Became one of the fastest growing churches in America. We took over the largest auditorium on the island, the big skating rink. Then in 83, God spoke to me and said, just as the mayor is the mayor of three islands, I want you to pastor three islands. I want you to pastor Maui, Molokai, and Lanai. 
I had a guy in my church who said, oh, I want to be a pastor. So I said, great. I sent him to Molokai for one night, just one night, a life group, one night. He came back and said, I ain't going. I was just on Molokai last night. God's giving us the island of Molokai. We have three congregations on Molokai. I'm telling you what, God's breathing on that island. God spoke to me and said, I didn't tell you to send somebody. I told you to go. So I'd preach twice at the skating rink in the morning, catch an air Molokai flight, preach on Molokai Sunday afternoon, fly back for the Sunday evening service. You know, God has a sense of humor. I'll never forget it. I was complaining. Oh, how dare me complain? But, you know, I was a small congregation on Molokai, and I said, God, I'm pastoring one of the largest churches in Hawaii, and here's just a handful of people. This isn't right. You know what God said? He said, son, this is the church you would have had if I hadn't blessed you on Maui. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It freaked me out. That vision is what's propelled this church. Did you know I just completed? Well, I've got tomorrow night, and then I'll be finished. I've been traveling for almost five weeks. We opened a new church in, in Lewiston, Idaho. I did the opening of that. Then I flew to Alaska, 15 below zero. God is giving us the state of Alaska. And then I flew to Spokane, Washington, and had a service there. Then I flew to Oregon, had a service there. And I flew to California, Antioch, California. Then I flew to Houston. We just bought a new building in Houston. Ha! Ah, it's beautiful. And I flew to Dallas and preached there, our church there. Then I flew to Springfield, Missouri. And then I preached in Branson, Missouri that night. Then I, then I flew to Arkansas, preached there. And then I went to Oklahoma, and we just bought a new building in Oklahoma. And it's beautiful. It's three stories high, brick with stained glass windows. It's worth $3 million. We bought it for under 300000 Somebody's Hallelujah. <laughs> It's amazing what God's doing. And then I, then I flew to Seattle. And then I flew home to preach three, three services. And then, then I started this one. Started in Lahaina and then Kauai and then Molokai and then with you guys tonight. And everywhere I've gone, that vision that began 41 years ago is now expanding beyond anything we know. You know, we have a vision from between now and 2025. It's called the 12120. 1,200 congregations. You pray for it every day. And 120,000 people. That is happening. I, 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 no, you, you don't understand. I said, that's happening. It's happening. As I speak to you, it's happening. We are in 18 nations in 22 states. And things are happening so quickly that I stand in awe. It's not by accident God allowed us to buy this shopping center. 
It's not by accident God put a vision in their hearts to come. It had nothing to do with money. They had a heartbeat for Kona. They prayed over it. They believed for it. And then God gave us this place. And we're going to move into that former Korean restaurant that never got built. And it's going to seat almost 500 people, and we're going to have a time. You see, vision is what motivates you. Some of you need a vision for your family, a vision for your job, a vision for your ministry. God can do that. He, dropped, he gave Joseph two God-given dreams that shaped his life. He gave me a vision that has shaped my life for the last 41 years, and it's not stopped because vision is always progressive. You see, him who has, God will give them more. But him who has not, what he has will be taken away, Jesus. That is, if you don't operate on the vision God's given you, he'll give it to somebody else. Are you hearing me? This is your time for Kona. Listen, this is your time for Kona. God's wanted to breathe in this place for generations. This is your time. Think, okay, how do we build? How do we, how do we expand God's kingdom here? Let me, let me, can I share one more story with you before I go on? He told me I could preach all night. No, I'm just kidding. I'm only here once a year, so I guess no. My wife, 10 years ago, said something to me that shocked me. She said, honey, God spoke to me. I said, what do you say? He said, I'm supposed to start a ministry for drug addicts and alcoholics. I said, what? I said, you've never had drugs or alcohol? Huh? How are you going to do that? She said, I don't know. But God's going to show me. So she's praying away, and God spoke to her and said, there's people in the church already I've delivered, and they're going to help you. They've been to jail. They've been pushers of drugs. They've been alcoholics. They're going to help you. I'll show you the ones to help you. She said it on the front row, just like Minister Lee is. And we have what we call the daily seed. I think you have it here too. And it's a special gift for the building programs. And a young man walked by Pastor Colleen and dropped an offering in the daily seed. And the Holy Spirit said to her, ask him. So he's walking by and she said, come here. Listen, I'm starting this ministry for drug addicts and alcoholics called Transformation. Would you help me? He said, well, yeah, I'll help you. He showed up at the first meeting, became a facilitator. She didn't know he was an alcoholic. He was in jail for drugs. He was a pusher, the whole bit. And at the time, he was an alcoholic. And he'd come to church, and then we wouldn't see him for weeks because he was on a drunk. And but he said, the moment I began to serve, God healed me. Did you know today, that was 10 years ago, Today, he's a pastor on my staff. And literally, my wife goes into the prison. Hey, I pastor a large church. My wife goes into the prison and ministers to women. And he goes in and ministers to the men. And literally, the entire prison's being touched by God. 
I was on Molokai last night and a man came up to me. He was in prison when Daniel came and preached. And he got saved. And he's from Molokai. He's in our church on Molokai. Vision! Please. Let God stir it up. But there's a second thing. I've got to hurry because Pastor Josh is looking at me funny, so I know I better hurry. God's timing is always right. Everybody say, God's timing is always right. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Joseph was a Semite. Semites are groups as a large group of people. He happened to be of the family of Abraham, but the larger group that he was a part of was what was called Semites. Are you aware of the fact that when Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar in Egypt, that at that time in history, there was a pharaoh who was a Semite. It was called the Hyksos period of Egypt, and it was from 17... 20 B.C. to 1570 B.C., 150 years. I always wondered, how could somebody who's not Egyptian be given authority over all of Egypt? He was a Semite, and so was the Pharaoh. Now, here's what's fascinating. Remember that little passage that says, a new Pharaoh arose that did not know Jesus? Joseph, the Hyksos were overthrown. And the new Pharaoh was not a Semite. And I believe it was at that time that the Israelites became slaves. God's timing is always right at the very perfect moment in time. Think about how God orchestrated everything. He gets sold as a slave to Egypt. He would have never gone to Egypt. He gets sold as a slave. He's elevated. And, and, and then he gets thrown into prison unjustly. And then two of the top leaders that the Pharaoh had, a cupbearer and a baker, are thrown into prison as well. Both of them have dreams on the same night. And, and, and so Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer. And he says, you're going to be elevated back into your position. Well, the baker says, oh, wow, that was a good interpretation. And here's my dream. And Joseph interprets and says, well, you're going to have your head cut off. <laughs> Thanks a lot. But exactly what Joseph said happened. And so the cupbearer is leaving the prison. And Joseph says, hey, hey, remember me. And he forgot. And then Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer says, I'm sorry. There's a man in prison who has the gift of interpreting dreams. Think of how God put that all together. Do you know how we were able to buy this property? We bought not only these buildings, but the land. This was leasehold. This was not fee simple. It's one of the most amazing stories. I don't have time to tell you. Jacob will tell you at another time. 
But it was the same thing. God, supernatural. He has the right timing for you. You think, oh, my time's up. No, it's not. God can do for you in the moment of your weakness greater things than he could ever do when you were strong. Because Paul would write in my weakness, then am I strong. Because my weakness is made perfect. You know, my, my, my strength is made perfect in my weakness. Please hear me. Don't get frustrated with God. You know, I understand something about God. God's never early. But he's never late. And if something's taking a long time, just think, does God have another plan? Is this the devil hindering it? Or does God have another plan? If it's the devil, you raise up as many intercessors as you can to break through. God's timing is already right. Everybody say, God's timing, God's timing. is always right. Always but there's one more thing. And you'll notice this. It's a profound key to Joseph's life of victory. And it's wrapped up in one phrase. You'll find the phrase. It's repeated Four times, I believe, in chapter 39, if I'm not mistaken. Or 37, I can't read my writing, so. So if it's not in 39, look at 37. <laughs> Here's the phrase, are you ready? The Lord was with Joseph. Everybody say that with me, the. the Lord Think about that for a moment. That was the secret to his success, his victory, his wisdom, everything about his life. He was, you know what it means to have the Lord with you? The prophet Isaiah prophesied one would come whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. He said, why are you preaching on Joseph? Because Joseph had God with him, and it's a prophetic picture that God wants to walk with you. Jesus came. John writes about it in John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. God has gone to the extreme to be with us. Now, let me ask you a question. Is he with you? You say, well, I hope so. Did you know you can abort God's presence? Think about it for just a moment. Listen, I've been in the ministry so long, I've seen people that were used by God mightily that fell away. They aborted God being with them. You see, Jesus is an ever-present help in time of need. You know, salvation is present tense. Everybody say it's present tense. It's not an insurance policy. It's a life where he is with us. Now, I want you to think about Joseph. There are six things I noticed in this story that allowed God to walk with him. Let me give you the six real quickly. Are you ready? Write them down. The first one is, it says... Joseph was faithful to God and did not commit sexual sin. You'll know the story there in chapter 39 where Potiphar's wife 
had a lust problem, saw this young man and wanted to have sex with him. She tried to seduce him. But Joseph would have nothing of it. And he said something that's shocking. He said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? We don't even think that way. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What we think about, can I do this and get away with it? Oh, free sex. Sex is never free. Because it's a covenant act that you give your life to that other person. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? We allow stuff into our home on our phones that we should never allow. Demon spirits. I wrote a book called Defiled. All of you ought to read it. It'll change your life. Demon spirits wait for you to cross the line so they have rights to you. We're so stupid. We go, well, nobody knows. Are you kidding me? Every demon in hell knows. They wait. They don't want God walking with you because you're dangerous if God's walking with you. But secondly, Joseph stayed humble and gave all the glory to God. Think about what happens in Genesis 41. He's taken out of prison. He's standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says these words, I've heard it said that you, that of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, what would you have said? Oh, yeah. I'm the man. Right? That's what would happen in our generation. You picked out the right guy. You know what Joseph said? He said, I can't do it. And here's what he says to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He gave glory to God. Friend, listen to me. Everything you possess could be gone in a moment. You could have millions and millions of dollars. You get sick, and all of that money will be gone. I had COVID about in October for about three weeks. I had to sit at home. I watched our, our um, services on YouTube, and I was very sick. And uh, I realized something. Everything I have could be gone. Friend, you hold things lightly in life. You put your trust in God. You hold the money lightly. You hold the relationships lightly. I mean, hello, you, you yearn for those things, but they cannot be God. They can never be a substitute. Fame, whatever it is you think is important. Joseph stayed humble. One of the biggest problems I've noticed is when God gives somebody success, they sometimes misinterpret the success and think it's because they're so great. Ah, I'm so wonderful. And I've seen minister after minister say, I can get away with things others can't because of God's giftings in me. Right. You stay proud like that, you're going to get slapped. And when God slaps, 
Whoa, baby. Are you hearing me tonight? You thank him for whatever you have. But it's not yours. It's his. And it's for his glory. Well, that brings me then to the next one. Are you still with me? And that's the third one. Joseph served. Everybody say it with me. Joseph served. It didn't matter where he was, he served. While he was in prison, he served so well that they made him the head of the prison. When he was a, a slave in Potiphar's house, he served so well. Potiphar made him ruler over all his household. Now, how well are you serving? Now, listen, let, let me tell you what happened when I was in Lewiston. Can I tell you what happened? I'm sitting on the front row. We were doing our grand opening there in the hotel. And I noticed three elderly people came to the service. And so I'm sitting on the front row. Knowing, since I'm elderly, I know how elderly people think. They want to hear a hymn. Because a hymn draws them back to some very important moments in their life. So at our church at the cathedral, during the offering, I always sing a hymn. So I'm sitting on the front row, and Pastor Harold is singing all the modern songs like we normally sing, you know. And I'm praying, oh, God, let him sing a hymn for those three elderly people in the back. I'm praying that way. And right after he's finished the song, he goes into a hymn. I think it was, oh, the blood of Jesus or something. And I go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> well, he gets to talking to these elderly folk at the end of the service. They were very successful. One was a, a chiropractor, been in the city for over 40 years. Him and his wife had come. And the person that invited him was a lady that had seen me, I think, on YouTube or something and heard I was in the city and came. And here's what they told Pastor Harold. They didn't tell the church because they weren't going to dishonor the church. But they had talked to their pastor if it would be possible for, for them on occasion just to sing a hymn. Pastor said, no, we don't do that here. And then he asked the pastor, can we serve? We want to serve. We want to do something. He said, no, we, we already have enough people serving. And then he gave them a list of churches that they could go visit instead of coming to his church. Pastor Harold said, that will never happen at King's. Every one of you, how old you are, if you're breathing, if you're breathing, you're important to God. That will never happen here. You will find significance here. And you'll have relationships that will mend your life. Broken people have come into kings all the time. They're not broken anymore. Many of them are my pastors. Touching thousands. They served. Friend, you better harangue Pastor Jacob and Minister Leah. Don't give them any rest. Call them in the middle of the night. I want to serve. What can I do? They'll appreciate it very much. That brings me then to the fourth thing. Don't miss this fourth one. Joseph forgave and expressed his love for his brothers in spite of what they did. You know, I've been in the ministry so long. One of the greatest tragedies is when people hold on to things for years somehow thinking if they hold on to it it's going to make the other person feel bad no it doesn't it just destroys you they couldn't care less 
Did you know one of the things that's happening in our society is movies? You know, I fly around a lot, so, you know, I'll pray, read the word, and then I got still four hours left, so I'll put a movie on and play. And here's what I've noticed. Most of the movies, their theme is vengeance. Somebody getting hurt or abused or whatever, and they're going to do their best to kill the person that did it. That's our culture. Well, all of us want justice. We know that, but God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We don't have to carry it. We give it to God. God will handle it. When he handles it, he does a good job. Our job is to forgive, and Jesus said, if we don't forgive, he can't forgive us. We need to be forgiven. I've raised up three marvelous children. They're all in the ministry. I have seven grandkids, and I wasn't always perfect. I, at times, would over-discipline my kids, and my wife would get in my face and say, you're wrong. You did that out of anger. You're wrong. You better ask for forgiveness. I'd humble myself. Say, Josh, would you forgive me? Yeah, all right, Dad. Just don't do it again. <laughs> you do that? You're the daddy. Aren't you always right? No, I'm not. God's the daddy. I'm just his servant. He just happened to entrust them to me. If he sees God's plan in all that happened, chapter 45, we read it, and God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance so that it was not you who sent me here but God. Now listen to me. I'm almost done. That fifth thing. Where was Joseph's focus? Was it on the past of all the problems he had? Or was it on what God is doing? You focus on the past, the abuse, the hurt, the pain, you will never be healed. But if you focus on the fact God has brought you to himself, and he's going to help you, and he's going to even turn that mess into a miracle if you let him. That's what happened to Joseph. That's why he was victorious. But that brings me to the final thing. Let's review. What was the first one? Come on, all of you that took notes. What was the first one? He was faithful to God, did not commit sexual sin. What's the second one? He was humble. Third thing, what? He served. Oh, I love it. Can I tell you something about me? I see myself as a player coach. I will not ask you to do something I don't do. I've knocked on almost every door on Maui. I'm up at early morning prayer meeting every morning. I was at early morning prayer meeting on Molokai this morning. And I'm going to give big. I will not ask you to do something. Because we're all servants. And the greatest servant is the leader. You want to be a leader, you serve. Sorry, I just had to add that in there. Just very quickly. That was free. What's the fourth one? He forgave and expressed his love. You know, I was flying on a plane with my son Josh. This was years ago. We were going to Molokai. Had my arm around him because I'm a huggy body. 
I believe in expressing love. I had my arm around We got off the plane and Josh says, did you hear what the guy said behind us? I said, no, what did he say? He said to his friend, I wish I had a dad like that who loved me. He said, well, it's not my culture to be expressive. Then get rid of your culture. I wasn't raised that way. So what? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are being raised in the right way. Oh, I got to quit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What's the fifth one? He saw God's plan and all that happened. And then finally, this is the last one. Oh, this is good. He, he honored his father. You'll notice how much he talks about having his father come be with him. We've created a culture by the power of the Holy Spirit in this church of honor. I call Pastor Jacob, Pastor Jacob. He didn't tell me I had to do that. I do that to honor his office. And I honor Minister Leah, other ministers. We created a culture of honor. You say, why would you do that? I mean, we're all cool. First name basis. You call me by my first name on Maui, somebody will smack you upside the head. You go, why is that? Because it's a dishonorable thing for many cultures. Japanese culture, it's sensei. Filipino culture, it's pastora or pastor. For Hawaiian culture, it's kahu. It's honor. You say, well, why would you create a culture of honor in this house? It's because our job is to honor every person God loves. And he loves you. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from. doesn't matter how old or how young you are. You walk into this church, you will be honored. And I'm going to tell you why. You can only receive from somebody you honor. You say, what are you talking about? I have a good friend. He's preached in my church many times. I've gone to the Ukraine with him to do miracle services. You may know his name. His name is Benny Hinn. Anybody know Benny Hinn? There's one problem with my brother Benny. Every time he comes, there's people that just come to get a miracle. And that's awesome because he has a marvelous gift. But the funny thing is I don't see them the following Sunday. Because in their brain, they think, oh, that's just Pastor Moroccan. The problem is, people are getting healed every Sunday. They're getting healed here every Sunday. Demons are being cast out every Sunday. Now, I appreciate the gift Benny has. It's awesome. But if you honor what God's doing among us, the very same thing will happen. Jesus could not do many mighty miracles in his hometown of Nazareth because they thought he was just the carpenter's son. Are you hearing me? When you create a culture of honor, you're able to receive from that person something you would have never been able to receive. Six things that allowed Joseph to have God walk with him. I want you to stand to your feet. Lift both hands in the air. We're going to praise the Lord and we're going to worship the Lord. Yes.
Come on.